I can't sugarcoat this bullshit. Jamie Snow is perhaps the most innocent guy in the Illinois Department of Corrections right now with one of the most serious charges hanging on him. The only thing that saved him, he didn't get a death penalty, and they couldn't kill him. So now they're just trying to kill him slowly, and they did it with all informants because they didn't have any other evidence. There was no evidence. He wasn't there. They waited years to indict him. Years. Snow Files, Episode 6, Snitch Parade, with special guest, Paul Cialino. The mission of the Snow Files podcast is to expose the misconduct of the state's attorney's office under Charles Renard. It is not our intention in any way to disparage the current state's attorney's office or the Bloomington Police Department. lifelong resident of Chicago. Over the past 25 years, Paul has appeared in hundreds of news programs on every major cable and television network in both the United States and Canada. Paul has done incredible work to free the innocent. To date, he has secured the freedom of 11 death row inmates who were wrongfully convicted. His accomplishments are far too long to list. Paul now works as a consultant, and he is the co-host of the Chicago Popo Report podcast on WLS. 8.90 a.m. We are pleased to have Paul Cialino as our special guest for this episode. Hi, Paul. Welcome to Snow Files. Hi. How are you doing? We're doing well. Great. Now, this week, we're going to talk about jailhouse informants. Ah, a uh, lovely subject. Absolutely. You know, jailhouse informants are a leading cause of wrongful convictions nationally. 
This topic has been controversial for decades, but from what we can see nationwide, it remains mostly unregulated. A few states have passed legislation, but it's few and far between. Ironically, in 2018, Illinois passed legislation enforcing what are now considered to be the toughest informant regulations in the country. Sadly, that comes far too late for Jamie. So let's start with this. I mean, what are the current regulations in Illinois and are they strong enough? They're a joke, okay? It requires a pretrial inquiry into the truthfulness of whoever's going to testify. Now, the only one that's making that judgment is the judge, who in my experience is usually the third prosecutor in the room, so it's almost guaranteed they're going to let them testify. But I, I suppose it's better than nothing. Uh, Texas has got some kind of... Uh, uh, rule as well, uh, not nearly as strong as Illinois, and that's not saying much, but uh, listen, it, it, they've been using informants to put people in prison for as long as they've had heater cases, which is forever. And when I say heater, murder, robbery, rape, etc. all right? So uh, in, in Jamie's case, of course, uh, we, we just have a, a bucket of informants uh, running down to the jailhouse, running to the cops, running to the prosecutor, to cut deals to save their ass on long sentences, or even short sentences for that matter, or even for some money. Just for listeners to know, I mean, current laws that are passed now, they're really irrelevant on appeal for Jamie, correct? Yeah, it's ex post facto. You can't use a new law to go back and bootstrap something. It's helpful in the respect that you can make an argument that uh, these laws weren't available to Jamie at that time. They should have been. They weren't. Uh, there, there's no constitutional issue there, I don't think. Although I'm not a lawyer, but I've sat in as many courtrooms as most have, I would tell you that, that you know, listen, Jamie is on jail on perjured, bought testimony. Period. Exactly. Now, as far as it goes, over the years, how many cases have you seen where informants are part of the case? I mean, how often does that occur? Well, listen, whenever you don't have any physical evidence, a confession, a, a legitimate confession, uh, a gun, a knife, a nice crime scene that's been worked up properly, uh, and or, you know, scientific evidence that comes into play, i.e. DNA, fingerprints, blood, semen, etc. cetera. Uh, when you see a case without any of those issues or evidence, you're usually going to see a whole bunch of informants show up because they don't have a case. They're making one up, and they do that in complete knowledge that they're making it up. The police and the prosecutors. And, and by the way, let's not blame the police, okay? Because the prosecutor is the general in these cases. And guess what, guys? The prosecutor makes that decision. He's the ultimate authority in that case. He knows he's using perjured testimony. He doesn't have any problem with it, morally or legally. And he usually gets away with it because jurors are knuckleheads and they don't get it. And the judge is going to protect the prosecutor and not really let you jump on most informants. Is it just a lack of knowledge over the years throughout the country why we haven't seen legislation, you know, reforms on no, this? No, of course not. It's Everybody knows it's been going on. We've been watching it happen. We've seen disaster after disaster of wrongful conviction involving informants. But the system is corrupt, and they allow this nonsense to continue on. It is never ending. I've been doing this as a civilian since 1981. I worked for the government from 74 to 81. We didn't use a lot of informants back then. Of course, I wasn't sort of more or less doing this kind of work. But from 1981 to today's date, okay, 2020, they use them and they use them gladly and they use them silly willy in every jurisdiction, state, federal, 
a county, and in between. They'd use them in traffic if they could get away with it. It's just off the rails. It's always been off the rails. L- listen, I can't sugarcoat this bullshit. Jamie Snow is perhaps the most innocent guy in the Illinois Department of Corrections right now with one of the most serious charges hanging on him. The only thing that saved him, he didn't get a death penalty, and they couldn't kill him. So now they're just trying to kill him slowly, and they did it with all informants because they didn't have any other evidence. There was no evidence. He wasn't there. They waited years to indict him. Years, okay? He wasn't even a suspect. He wasn't on anybody's radar, uh, mostly because he didn't do anything until someone said, you know what, we better, we, we got to solve this crime down here in Bloomington. And, and solve it they did on Jamie Snow's back. And the travesty continues as we speak today on Easter Sunday. Unfortunately, it does. Let's talk about how these investigators obtain these statements from jailhouse informants. How do they go about getting informants to speak? Is it all deal-based? Ah, well, hey, listen, the great thing about jailhouse informants, they come to you, okay? Because everyone's looking to make a deal. Everyone's looking to shave some time off their shitty sentence. And let's face it, jailhouse informants are the lowest of the lowest scum, okay? They are cutting a deal to save their ass or somebody else's ass or to get some time shaved off or to get some money, all right? They're making shit up to put some innocent dude in jail usually. And if he's not innocent, they're making stuff up anyways just so they could get a deal for their own self. So it's generally just all voluntary lies. Yeah, it's all voluntary. They do it gleefully with 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 joy in their heart and a song on their lips. They do it. Do you ever see situations where there's pressure put on an inmate to give testimony? Well, sometimes you'll be. You, you, let's say you have a, a really cagey inmate, okay, who who is known, who has a reputation for not talking to anybody, especially not about his case. Or their case, for that matter, because jailhouse adequate folks generally is you don't talk about people's cases in jail, all right, unless you're asked directly. Otherwise, you keep your mouth shut or you get your ass beat or a knife stuck in your ribs, okay? But informants do not play by them rules, and they don't care because they're cagey little animals who lie, cheat, steal, swear, make up stuff, usually use a lot of drugs, and they're involved in everything else. Any way they could get any kind of advantage in any way, shape, or form, they show up. So the cops just have to sit by the phone, basically. It's a, it's even, it's a, the great lazy detective way. You're sitting there and ring, ring, the phone rings. Hi, Detective Jones. Hey, hey, I'm locked up here in the county jail, and I and I know this dude named Jamie Snow, and I understand you guys are going to trial soon, and, and you know what? He talked to me. Gee, all right. Well, Liz, who was there? Let's let me come down and see you. Let's let's check out the veracity of that. That almost never happens, okay? And certainly in Snow's case. It didn't happen, all right? They're not checking. Uh, do these people have a reputation for being truthful? What are they in jail for? What have they done? Are they looking for a deal? These are the things you should look for. If you're a good investigator, what is this person's motivation for coming forward to testify, all right? Because let's face I've been doing this forever, all right? And I will tell you, most people do not want to testify. They don't want to be involved. They don't care. They're like, I don't want to be bothered. My maid's here now. I've heard no more than any human being alive, probably. Okay? Knock, knock, knock. Hi. So I'd like to talk to you about this homicide you may have witnessed. Get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. I can't talk to you. I'm afraid to talk to you. The gang's going to kill me. The police will hate me. All right? The, the informants don't have any of those problems. Okay? Most witnesses are like, man, I don't want nothing to do with your case. Period. Right. And we've you know certainly what? seen that with Jamie's case. 
Most people have enough common sense to mind their own business and stay out of these things. Well, listen, <laughs> the problem with talking now is you have to tell the truth, okay? Or someone's going to hold your feet to the fire about this ridiculous statement you made that supposedly happened in some prison at some unknown time with unknown witnesses available. You know, across the country over the years, you see defense attorneys getting blindsided by informant witnesses. Now, I'm looking at the Illinois law, and it says that defense teams need to be notified 30 days in advance. What options does the defense team have? Can they go question these guys? Well, you could try. He doesn't have to talk to you. No witness has to speak to you. They're under no obligation to speak to a defense investigator or defense lawyer. Now, you know, let, let me give you a great, for instance, Washington State, state of Indiana, pre-criminal trial, you got a right to depose every witness in the case. Now, there, you can make some headway with this stuff, okay? Of course, I would tell you Washington State and the state of Indiana don't have near the problem with wrongful convictions that we have in Illinois, okay, because of that kind of open discovery, so to speak. So if your name hits a witness list in the great state of Indiana, I get to sit your ass down in a conference room somewhere and question you to the cows come home. And I've done it. Same in Washington State. With a court reporter sitting in the room, on the record, under oath. Guess what? You, you short-circuit a whole bunch of bullshit with laws like that. Illinois, no one's got to talk to you. They don't have to see you. They don't have to do anything till they hit the witness stand. Now, to be fair to the prosecutors, defense witnesses have that same option. But I will tell you, when two or three Chicago cops or Cook County Sheriff's officers banging on your front door at midnight, and they got the ability to whistle up the SWAT team and throw your ass on the ground and handcuff you and take you anywhere they want, you're generally going to speak to those folks. You could say no, but you better be a bad dude if you do say no, and you better be ready for some repercussions. Leslie, I know you had a question for Paul about uh, jailhouse informants. There was one informant in particular who made a striking comment saying that he did it because he never thought it would be believed. And since so many people were piling on, his story shouldn't have had any significance at all. In your experience, is that a common thought process with the informants? Or well, do you think that they're, that's something they say later on to distance themselves and make themselves feel better? Well, I think your latter statement would be more true to distance themselves or minimize the damage they did. The problem is you have juries and or judges, almost always juries, who are listening to these people talk. And the prosecutor and the judges protected them as much as they can. And you could take a part in a form of pretty good on a witness stand, but they're going to they're gonna put it in such a way that, uh, by the way, almost never is the deal they've made going to come to light when they're testifying. Because the deal's always cut in this manner. Are you going to testify? And you'll testify truthfully. And you don't, we're going to charge you for it. In this particular man's testimony, the lawyer started going, the defense attorney started going at him and saying, well, isn't it true that when you were sitting with this Detective Barkas, you told him that as long as you're in state custody, you'll say the story that you want. But when I get out of state custody, I'm never going to say anything harmful against Jamie Snow. Isn't that true? And his response was, uh, yes, that all that stuff is said. But you know what? Who is this Detective Barkas? And he has nothing to do with it. And I don't want to talk about him. And the questioning just stopped there. It didn't, you know, they weren't able to get into it anymore about that conversation. Why? Because the lawyer just quit doing it or the judge instructed him not to go any further into it. Do you know? Uh, he kind of just got hostile and he kept saying uh, he just kept denying it and saying that 
um, he, he said, you know why I'm here. You know that's exactly why they pulled me into court right now. That was his response, and the lawyer didn't, you know, just keep following up with it. It ended it right there. Well, it's poor lawyering in my humble but yet accurate opinion, and I've seen this a million times over the years, inexperienced lawyers, lawyers who don't care, lawyers who are intoxicated or inebriated in some way, shape, or form, lawyers who are overworked, underpaid, and just don't give a shit sometimes. That the, there's a fallacy out there that, you know, you have these hard-edged, brilliant defense attorneys representing people in big murder cases or organized crime cases, and sometimes you do not. Sometimes you have uh, whoever could, sh whoever agreed to show up for five grand or twenty-five hundred, and now that they're there, they're pissed and they haven't really been reading the case. They're not familiar with the discovery. I, I, it's, what you're describing is perfect opportunity to keep this idiot on this witness stand for about a day and a half and destroy him. Yeah, and it's funny you mention that because the Frank Pitzel, Jamie's defense attorney, was described previously as a bulldog and the guy you want to defend you if you're ever arrested for murder. And then he turned into a drunk, a divorced drunk shortly before Jamie's trial. And he did not, re he admitted that he did not do any research, that he was fascinated with himself, that he could be at the bar all day and then show up and go to court and interrogate these people on the fly, and other lawyers thought he was great for it. I don't, uh, I'm, I'm guessing the legal talent wasn't a cream of the crop in Bloomington at that time. Apparently not. <laughs> because I sure wouldn't want him defending me. You know, listen, I... The, the great criminal defense lawyer is rare find, and often they're found in public defender offices because that's what they do, and they're passionate, and they're dedicated, and they have time to do those sort of things. Uh, the, the hired gun that shows up often is totally unqualified to be doing what he's doing, has no business doing it, and is more responsible for getting his client put in jail than his client is often. So, there, there's a, listen, there's a lot of things that you don't win often a trial, folks. I mean, about 10% of the cases that go to trial revert uh, end in not guilty. 10%. Now, that's 85% of the criminal cases that are charged are pled out before they ever get there. All right? So you got a 90% chance of being convicted if you're sitting in front of a judge or a jury on a murder case. 90%. So with that being said, do you know of any judges or prosecutors who vehemently do not accept informant testimony when it's not backed up? I have never heard of one not accepting it, ever. Wow. Now, I when I worked for the state, I would have, I worked, there were prosecutors I worked for who said, get that shithead out of here. I don't want to hear it. As far as I'm concerned, he's got no credibility, not interested. Uh, I could try this case without him. A, a good prosecutor understand that, He's taking a risk, especially if there's talent on the other side and motivation that, that destroyed this informant. They'll understand putting an informant or perjured testimony on the witness stand is risky because some jurors might find that offensive. Most of them don't, but there are rare ones that will get their back up and not be too happy about it. The, the ideal situation is you get one on the witness stand and, uh, the judge starts reading him his uh, constitutional rights because he just caught him lying like a dog. But that 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 movie scene almost never happens. Very, are there very any laws, laws and regulations in place about the 
the gifts, the money, the deals that are given to these informants? Is there anything to stop? I want to explain this to listeners, okay? The prosecutor can do whatever he wants to do. Who, who indicts, who charges criminals in whatever county or jurisdiction you're in? Who does that? The state, the prosecutor. The, the chief prosecutor, the elected state's attorney or the uh, assigned U.S. attorney, okay? He's at the top of the food chain. He can decide to charge or not charge in any given case, and he don't have to give a reason for doing it or not doing it. That That's how it works, guys, all right? He could bring it to a grand jury or he could ignore it. He could put it on his desk and look at it for the next 20 years and not do a thing about it. So I would tell you police misconduct, police perjury, snitch testimony that's uh, straight up lying and perjury. Prosecutor's not going to prosecute those folks. Never do it. It almost never happens. It's so rare when it does. I mean, rare, like frontline news when it happens, because it almost never happens. So whatever they want to put on, they can get away with. They're going to do it. Now, is the defense team allowed to tell the jury what the gifts were, what the deal was? Well, if the judge lets them, all right, if the judge says, yeah, I, th- I-, I can assure you that the prosecutor is going to want to try and keep that out, all right, okay. and or delay it so it doesn't happen during the course of the trial or pretrial, right? Uh, we're going to give you a reward after this guy's found guilty. And now it becomes an appellate court issue uh, that will be investigated for the next several years, hopefully with some success, but often with none. So they're smart enough not to give anybody anything until the trial's over with. If you think anything but a dude, dude like Jamie Snow walking in a courtroom, uh, sitting in a jumpsuit and or uh, a bad button-down shirt frayed at the collar sitting next to a lawyer, if, if you think anyone in that room thinks this dude is innocent when he walks in there, you're living in a fantasy world. There's not right. a dude in that room, including the jurors, who would think if he's innocent, he wouldn't be sitting there next to that guy. You have a defense attorney, though, who has the option to say, have you been offered any promises? That guy says no, and now you've just given him credibility. Well, it, it's not helpful, but you you, you got to put it on the record because maybe you could prove he's lied, right, at some point later on in the appellate proceeding. And most of them are going to say, no, I haven't been given anything. I'm here because I'm a good citizen. The problem is you can't compel them in any way, shape, or form. All you can do is appeal to their humanness and say, listen, you know and I know Jamie Snow didn't commit this crime. You also know that you lied while under oath at his trial. Now it's time to come clean. This is your opportunity to be a good person, to help somebody who shouldn't be in prison. And 90% of them don't give a shit. They don't care about Jamie Snow. Ain't ain't their problem. Not my kin, not my problem. Okay? There's there's no way to compel them to to be a truthful and honest person. The the problem though is really much larger than that, right? There's no evidence, there's no real witnesses, there's no confession. Anyone who looks at this case understands that this dude is innocent. They understand it. They get it. If you went down to Stateville and you talked to 50 guys who were seasoned criminals and convicts, 48 of them tell you Jamie Snow's an innocent dude. Why? Because they know. They know who's innocent. That This is something I've experienced in prisons all across the country. They, they just know who's innocent. They know what a good case is. They know the dude's character because they're locked up with him for so many years. Right? 
So the secret is not that Jamie's innocent. Everyone knows he's innocent. The judges know it. The appellate courts know it. The the appellate attorney's working on it. The prosecutor's working on the case. No, he's innocent. The, the, the trick is, how do we get him out of there? And in these cases, and I will tell you, you're in miracle territory when you get somebody out of prison. The time to be, win these cases is at trial. Anything after that is Hail Mary miracle stuff. I've gotten 11 people off death row or doing life sentences. They're miracles, every one of them, miracles. And they require years of work and sticking to it and working it and working it and keep working it. Uh, it, It's almost impossible to keep that up for anyone. So how many who have life sentences have you gotten exonerated or just commuted? A few of them were commuted by George Ryan. I talked to uh, him in commuting a guy named Mario Flores, who was a Guevara victim, a Detective Guevara victim. Uh, Flores is an uh, interesting case because he got commuted instead of uh, pardoned. And he was the youngest of five and the only kid in the family who wasn't an American citizen. And so, but he was raised on the north side of Chicago and never spoke a word of Spanish, although his parents and sisters were fluent. He was the baby. They spoiled him and only spoke English to him because he's educated in the uh, Chicago schools. So when Mario got deported to Mexico, his parents had to go live down there with him for about a year and a half because he didn't speak a word of Spanish. He's still down there, by the way. Married a supermodel, works for the president's office. He's got a great life, but uh, he was a great person. He should have never been convicted. But uh, Flores is one of the guys we got commuted, and and that's very unusual. But uh, there was a problem. He had a lawyer that uh, at one point, unbeknownst to us, wrote the governor a letter in a prior petition saying, listen, I just want to sentence his co-defendant guy who testified against him, which kind of indicated he was guilty, right? I had him pardoned, but uh, the day before, I got a call from the governor's office, Governor Ryan's office. They said, listen, got a problem with Flores. Uh, we can't pardon him. So I begged and pleaded, and they commuted him. And he got out. But uh, he's an innocent guy who's who's got a murder conviction, should have been cleared. Had, by the way, never had a traffic ticket before that. Can he still put forth a claim of actual innocence? Yeah, he could, but good luck getting one of these weak sisters to sign it now or, or look at it. He's out of prison. And that's another thing. Once you're out of jail, no one gives a shit. I have people call me all the time. I was convicted of murder. I did 20 years. I'm out. I never did it. I'm innocent. Uh, will you help me? And I go, no. A, you don't have any money usually. And B, no one cares. No one's going to listen. No one's going to look at it. So the people have done their time and are out almost have zero shot of ever exonerating themselves and clearing their name. The first big judgment we ever got was the Fordites 4 case. I was involved. I got Jerry Spence as their lead attorney on that, who was at that time the most successful personal injury attorney in the world, okay? And he got the four of them, 18 million bucks for, and they did 18 years apiece. So they had this, four of them split 18 million. They wound up with about 6 million. It was higher than that, but they wound up with about $6 million uh, for 18 years in prison. And they all went away when they were 17, 18 years old. And it was horrible. These guys did hard time. I mean, Two of them were on death row. Two of them were doing life without parole. Uh, they had been tried three or four times because the appellate court kept kicking this case back 
bad lawyers, drunk lawyers, uh, no evidence, making up evidence. It, 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 this was a nightmare case. It, clearly, they were innocent. I found the guys who actually did do it, got confessions from three of them. I got a fourth, but he was dead. He died of alcohol poisoning in, up in Minnesota. We had DNA evidence. First time ever, multiple offenders were cleared on the same DNA evidence. And the guys who actually committed the rape murder, their DNA tested positive. And this was a Cook County case. And had I not had a chief judge named uh, Sheila Murphy, who was out in Markham and who smelled bullshit. And Sheila was an old defense lawyer uh, who I had to work for long before she was a judge. She took over this case and made sure the state did the right thing eventually, right? Because they fought it. They fought it tooth and nail. But that that was a, a nice judgment. And that's probably one of the better ones I've seen. And that judgment happened back in the 90s. So that's over 20 years ago. So I'm from Connecticut. And here, you know, we treat exonerees uh, a lot differently. We recently had a man who was by DNA exonerated from a rape and murder. And our governor went as far as to give him millions and millions of dollars, make a public statement about how disappointed he was and how he was innocent, and then gave him a job as the head of the parole and pardons board, making a hundred grand a year after that. Now, I, gotta um, tell you, I like that governor. I like the way he thinks. <laughs> Yeah, and we're also a blue state, a democratic state. So, you know, I know Illinois is too. So when I hear these things, um, I feel so, I I just can't believe it myself being from somewhere else. Hey, you're in Connecticut. You don't have a lot of wrongful conviction cases. Illinois is the leading state in the country, okay? And so they would go broke paying these guys. My attitude is tough shit, too bad. You, you screw up somebody's life like that, you should write a check, a huge check. Anthony Porter did 18 years, never got a penny, lost a trial. He, he got $250,000, which was the maximum benefit he could get from the state, and that was it. Never saw another nickel. They have a policy now of fighting you. They don't care if you're wrongfully convicted. The city of Chicago will go out and spend millions on private attorneys defending these cases. They defend the indefensible. They do it routinely. They do it in every case almost because they do not want to pay these guys. They take the attitude as, ah, it's bullshit. It wasn't a wrongful conviction. He did it. Now, you can do that at a civil trial, right? That's coming in. That's their theory of the case. They can accuse you of anything they want, and nothing can be done about it. And the city will pay these dudes more money, the lawyers defending it, than they would have paid the guy who was wrongfully locked up for 15, 16, 20, 30 years, okay? That's how they deal with it. They don't care. That's how they roll. So what can be done for the people of Illinois who are listening, who don't agree and don't know these things? How can they be educated to make a difference when they're on the jury? Well, listen, I and I've written books and articles about this very subject. You, you have to, you have an innocent client. You got to go to war against the government when they charge them and they indict them and they're getting ready to try them. And you have to get your word out there. You've got to influence jury polls. That's your job. You have to do it. The, the, sit, being quiet and being a gentleman or a lady and not talking bad about the police or the prosecutors does not work because you've got to educate the judge 
in a manner that he understands, which is this guy's innocent, and I don't want to hear any bullshit because we're gonna we're gonna fight a war over it, and I don't care if you like it or not, and if you get in my way, judge, I'm gonna embarrass you every night on the courthouse steps. And when you come up for re-election, I'm going to let everybody know you tried to convict a guilty, an innocent man. But see, most attorneys are not willing to put that fight up. And most investigators aren't allowed to put that fight up by the attorneys. Now, I don't work like that. I don't care what the lawyer wants. If I'm involved, usually, unless there's a very good reason for me not to speak, I'm going to speak early and often. And consequently, if my guy's guilty, I'm not going to say shit. We're going to try and do the best job we can, and hopefully we get lucky. But I'm not going to hold press conferences talking about how innocent he is if he's, in fact, guilty or involved. You know what I'm saying? But if you get that innocent dude, you you need you got to do it. That's the only way you educate people, Doc. In Jamie's case, he was doing all that. But writing letters to the judge, speaking out about it, he confronted every single snitch on the stand. He took the stand in his own defense. But he was the only one doing it. So if somebody else finds themselves in that position and their lawyer's not doing their own job, you would recommend that they get their family or they get more supporters to go yeah, out and you know hold conferences? I, I'm, I'm reminded of a case right now that's going on in Oklahoma. This police officer got convicted of raping a bunch of black women. It's a total bullshit case. No science, no evidence. Didn't happen. They hooked this cop up. Daniel Hollowitz, I think, is his name. Yeah, a bunch of uh, forensic scientists have gotten involved. Brent Turvey, George Shiro from Mississippi, a whole bunch of folks. Craig Cooley is one of the attorneys involved, who's a big wrongful conviction guy. He used to work for the Innocence Project in New York, was a great appellate investigator before he became a lawyer. His family's done a magnificent job of getting the word out publicly. And Oklahoma's in the dark ages, folks, okay? You get convicted of murder out there. They don't give a shit, okay? Them judges lie, cheat. They... I've seen cops shoot dudes on videotape, withhold medical treatment, getting them to make a statement in murder cases, and they've been allowed to get away with it. There's like two badass public defender female lawyers out there in Oklahoma who are fighting the fight, and they're not winning, right, who expose this kind of behavior and misconduct. Uh, it's a bad place to get hooked up on a bad charge. And um, But the Hollowitz case, Daniel Hollowitz is a – I think an Oklahoma City patrol officer, high school football star, good co a college ball player. I, I think he's half Hawaiian or Filipino or Vietnamese, something like that. There's not one DNA, one rape kit, one mm. outcry of when it allegedly happened. Uh, it's all bullshit. None of it ever happened. And he's doing like an 80-year sentence, right? It's a horrendous case. And I, I think he'll come out, but it, it, probably not for several more years. They, the media made him look guilty as hell. I mean, they, right. they really did. And uh, actually, Fox News and Michelle Malkin, a, uh, a, a you know a reporter activist, got involved in the case, and she's had several hour specials on it. She's really carried the water on this thing media-wise. But uh, nationally, not a lot of other people have picked it up. I mean, it, it's big on Facebook, and it's big on social media. Listen, I have a client out in Las Vegas. I've been working for for over 10 years. Her son's wrongfully convicted on a murder conspiracy case out of New Hampshire. It's a total horseshit, bullshit, terrible case. She has spent millions. It's no guarantee you're going to get out. None. None. So 
the, the stars got to be lined up perfectly. You got to have a lot of stuff happening. They, they bounce someone out of the penitentiary after they've been convicted. Have you ever seen um, a case with this many jailhouse informants? Probably not 12. No, no, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I, listen, even a jury at that point, you know, but prosecutors more is better, right? Ah, we got 12. That's great number. Even if you think oh, 10 of them are scumbags, maybe two of them aren't lying, right? So there is there is safety in numbers. Uh, I've seen two and three and four. But generally, we'd have tapes, right? They'd wire to sell up, right? No tapes. No, yeah. nothing. I mean, and then they all have, they all have different stories, Paul. I, I, I love the police and prosecutors <laughs> act like uh, tape recordings have been unavailable for the last 50 years. Right. Uh, putting a wire on a guy doesn't work, okay? You got, man, you could wire anything. For, for the last 30 or 40 years. So actually during uh, one of the police interviews where they said Jamie uh, was asking about what if he was involved in the, in this murder, what would happen to him? He was really asking about if he had information on a robbery eight years later, if he would get some help with that. So they changed the word to murder and on the stand, they get the detective on the stand. They say, well, didn't you have a tape recorder? Yes. Why didn't you use it? Oh, I, I just didn't use it that day. You know, isn't that standard protocol? Oh, it's not standard protocol. It's an option, and we just didn't use it. Yeah, see, that, that that's another thing. There are very few rules or procedures concerning recording of statements and interrogations. And my favorite, of course, is in Illinois, any murder confession has to be videotape recorded, right? Guess what? Chicago's still not videotaping a lot of them. The video machine was broke. Uh, the yeah. detectives don't wear body cameras. Uh, someone else was using the tape recorder. It just it continues on because why? Who's going to punish them? Prosecutor and or the judge. Guess what? They're not going to punish them. They're going to let it slide. So the very best generally you're going to get, they could be punished by not allowing it in. The judge could say that. That's not going to happen, right? Right. Right. There could be sanctions or fine. There could be all kinds of things for not doing it, but they they still often do not. And there are national standards. But I give let me give you the perfect example. The FBI re- tape records nothing. They don't tape record statements. They always have two agents show up. They allegedly don't take notes. Ask an FBI agent, how do you write that thirty page report? Well, I left the interview and I sat down and I wrote it. It's called a 302. From memory? Yes. Why didn't you record it? We have a policy. We don't record statements. So what do we do when the prosecutor says I there were no notes taken? Everybody agrees there's no notes taken. But now 20 years later, we have somebody say, I saw them take the notes. There's just no repercussions. Yeah, there's no repercussions because the people that need to punish them are the people that are trying to keep him in prison. They're not going to punish their own people for breaking the rules. They, they do it routinely everywhere. OK, so this this is an age old problem. We're not going to solve anytime soon because because no one solved it yet. Right. And this has been going on for as long as I've been in this business. And in wrongful conviction cases, it's almost always more egregious. Almost always, well, bigger informants, bigger lies, bigger rewards, bigger deals cut, right? Because it's a heater case. It's a homicide. It is the World Series of the criminal justice system, right? And guess what? The same shit that was going on 30 years ago is going on today. 
that doesn't it doesn't change. Uh, what change are the tactics and being smarter and hopefully better trained. I'm talking about defense personnel who could expose this stuff and do the job that needs to be done. But there's so many things. I teach this stuff internationally, man. At law enforcement, I teach it to defense people. Uh, you could teach them little cows come home. We've written there's dozens of books on how to do this stuff properly, the proper protocol, the, the uh, National Institute for Justice Standards. You know, when reading that shit, no one's paying attention to it. Listen, crime scenes, more egregious issues around crime scenes than any single thing, right? Mishandled, contaminated, people lying about stuff at the crime scene, omitting stuff that was found at the crime scene. There's all kinds of national standards, and you put the crime scene guy in the witness stand, and you're going down the list, and he's going, nope, didn't do that, nope, nope, didn't do that. Ever had any training? Nope, not not much. Just experience. Been doing it for 20 years, right? How many crime scenes have you done, officer? I don't know, a couple thousand. Well, I'm the kind of guy I want to, okay, let's go through that couple thousand. Let's talk about it because I'm in a town like uh, Champaign, Illinois. Well, how many goddamn crime scenes are uh, do you have every year? Really? 30, 40? How do you do a couple thousand? Nobody else works there? You working 24 hours a day, seven days a week? There's no other crime scene people. You see, if you start exposing these lies and holding their feet to the fire on this stuff, as a scientist, you understand this. If you put something on your resume and it's not true, somebody like me is going to find it. And we're going to light you up on a witness stand, and that judge is going to be all indignant about you fibbing. Let's say you take credit for writing an article. And actually, someone else published that article, but you were student working on it. And perhaps you may even have wrote 90% of it, but your idiot professor took the credit for it. But you decide when you're doing your resume one day, that jerk off didn't write shit. I wrote that article. My name's on it. I'm going to take credit for it. That insignificant fact could destroy your reputation. Now, let's take that same scenario with a crime scene investigator or a fingerprint analysis who had it, it required no kind of formal or legal training okay just his experience and air quote marks and they could lie and get caught a hundred times and people generally aren't gonna the judge not gonna punish them like he would punish you as an expert so what does it cost to get you to sit at the defense table when somebody thinks their lawyer's not up to asking those well, kind of questions. I, I will tell you, uh, it, it costs a lot of money, and uh, Jamie Snow, I would do it for free, okay? If Jamie gets a three-week trial again, I will sit there if whoever his a criminal attorney allows that, and the judge allows it, and I will make sure this thing goes right. I'm assuming I know John Lovey very well. John Lovey would probably want to try this case, and I would not say no if he wanted to do it. And uh, I don't think you would require my presence there if John was trying this case, because John knows how to try a case. Uh, ask Curtis Lovelace, a former prosecutor who got wrongfully charged with a murder in uh, Southern Illinois a few years back. And John wound up trying that criminal case on a retrial and he won. And now he's getting ready to uh, do the civil suit. Would have started already, but this whole uh, coronavirus thing has put a stop to all cases in Illinois. So it, it's rare when you got a lawyer in there who, who's passionate, knows what he's doing, hits all the right buttons, well-funded and or independently wealthy and can put on a good case. And, and these are the problems we see 
you look at Jamie's case, reading a transcript, which is all we have right now, right? And Jamie, you think, how did these knuckleheads lose this case? I mean, there's no evidence, right? But these cases are lost every day. Like this is not something that's rare or unusual. It's a little rare because Jamie's a white guy. But but if you start looking at the demographics, okay, now you're in Central Illinois where it's almost all white guys, right? In in that county, there's not a uh, there, there's some blacks because you got Illinois State University there, and so so there's some minorities that live there. But generally, it's a farmland community. So any white guys are sort of like the black guys of that town, if you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah, Jamie, you know, was not upper middle class. He didn't belong to the country club in Bloomington. I thought it was interesting when you said that you, when you were talking about public defenders and how, you know, how great, because initially he had a public defender who was over the public defender's office. Yeah. And she came up and she was like, okay, Jamie, I don't know where all these people came from, but we're going to court and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, she asked for money. She's like, I'm going to get, we're going to interview every one of these people because this is crazy. Where do they come from? We're going to investigate them. We're going to do this. And they had her recused a week later. They had a motion to recuse her. And because she was over the PD's office, they recused the entire PD office and then hired the dude with a stroke and the dude with an alcoholic, you know, the dude who was an alcoholic who we know they knew that, you know, that, that these people have these issues. Yeah. Uh, listen, and DePage County, where I live, uh, has a magnificent public defender's office, well-funded, well-educated, well-trained. Uh, they're so good. I married one of them. And at one point, she had won seven felony jury trials in a row in DePage County, which is a record still standing today. And it got so bad, Joe Perquette, who's now an appellate court justice, I used to come sit in the courtroom, try to intimidate her when he was a state attorney, all right, or have people in there watching her like she was, you know, bribing witnesses or something. She's a PD right. kicking right. their ass. And so uh, I, I've seen this. In state of Illinois, we're lucky because we have some really good public defender offices that work hard and, and, and do a good job. You get to North Carolina where they grab a real estate lawyer uh, who happens to be in court that day evicting somebody, and the judge goes, hey, I'm pointing you to this homicide case, and you're going to do it, or you're never going to get appointed to anything again. And these people, a lot of these lawyers, their income depends on appointed cases, right? 25 bucks an hour. And so you got a real estate guy trying a murder case. I mean, that used to happen in Cook County, too, in the old days, by the way. That would happen. So she fought. Was, she fought tooth and nail. I mean, I've read the transcript, and she wanted to be on that case. She said, "You know, there's no reason." She defended one of the dudes who who was uh, testifying against him, one of the informants, but she had she had represented him ten years before. But that's a small county, you know. They had represented probably all of those. You know, I mean, well, yeah, and they know the players and they're familiar with all the police departments and who's a who's a piece of shit, and who's an honest, honorable guy or woman. And so they they are formidable sometimes and they're they're well paid and well compensated uh, or almost equal to state's attorney. Never quite as equal, but uh, often they make a good living. And and a lot of public defenders practice for the pure joy of practicing law and they're advocates to the nth degree for their clients they didn't want her on this case no, not no, at all. They, didn't want. they don't want anyone going to give them a fight or be too yeah. tough right because they know 
And listen, prosecute. There's so many politics in these in every criminal case, right? There's a lot of politics involved. And I and I have seen lawyers. Listen, I'm I'm not going to screw up the rest of my career. I'm not going to screw up my standing at the country club with the judges and the prosecutors who belong there. Bloomington, all the judges and lawyers belong to this country club, the Bloomington Country Club. They eat together there. Their kids get married there. Their wives play tennis together there. Guess what? Most lawyer, criminal defense lawyers are not going to get in a major pissing contest over Jamie Snow from the trailer court. Okay? Right. It's hard to find an advocate who's going to go down there and kick ass and take names. Now, as a matter of routine, those people should be falling out of trees on defendants, right? But that's that's just not the case. Bloomington is the home to Allstate Insurance, who is the largest employer in town, has more lawyers working there than they do in the entire county. And a lot of these people wind up on juries, I might add, and they all belong to the country club, and they're all pals with the prosecutor and judges, okay? So I, I, I've had wealthy, well-heeled criminal defendant clients who belong to that country club down there, and, and I've gotten a lot of breaks, and we usually win those cases because they know everybody. Everybody likes them. Never mind they're a major drug dealer on the side of their, i.e., funeral home or car dealership they happen to own, all right? Um, it's a very political town and and very – it's almost old southern genteel type yeah. of operation down there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I just had an older guy convicted of a sex case down there involving his grandchildren. Total bullshit. Totally made up all about money. And – he did not have the right trial attorney, and he got rung up. And it was all about money. But he was a farmer, and he really wasn't part of the social network. He just happened to be a very wealthy farmer. Mm-hmm. And he lived in Iowa, so he wasn't out there at all, but his grandchildren lived there. And they made up a case. It's all resulted a lot of a divorce case, but... That's neither here nor there. It, listen, there's a lot of injustice everywhere. The star's got to be lined up to win a case. It really does. You need a lot of help and a lot of good things happening at that moment. And when you try to win the appellate courts, man, it's mission impossible. I'm I'm 63-year-old, guys. I am tired, all right? I don't get involved in these cases anymore unless there's a lot of money or uh, I have, uh, I'm passionate about the case for some reason or another, all right? Yeah. Um, they're too difficult, they're too hard, they're too time-consuming. I don't want Jamie, I don't want to sit here every night and think about Jamie Snow, all right? Because it is, it is not good for your mental health, all right? It wears on you, it ages you. Uh, I've had a lot of clients like Jamie, and I don't like living like that anymore. This is a young man's game or a young woman's game, okay, who, who can burn all that energy and passion. Um, if Jamie got a new trial, I'm first in line to do whatever I can, okay? Mm-hmm. But I got involved with Jamie many, many years after the damage had been done. And really, I would have gotten involved a long time ago if there was something I could have contributed that would have helped. But everything had been done that could be done, and and, or, and if it wasn't, it was so screwed up, it was unfixable, in my humble opinion. Uh, I think he's in a pretty good place right now legally. I'm hopeful. Uh, 
I think Jamie's coming out of there for two reasons. A, he's innocent. He didn't do it. All right. And B, they've been beating on this case long enough and it's been around long enough where he's, he's due for a good break. All right. And I'm not sure he'll ever get exonerated, but I do think he's going to get out. And I, that, do, I, work. Do, I think it'll be soon. I, it's going to be sooner rather than later, you know? And so, I mean, you tell now, listen, I'm not minimizing this because every day in a maximum security prison is like walking down the Kennedy Expressway at rush hour, dodging cars, doing 70 miles an hour. You might get away with it every day, every day for, you know, how many days, months. But eventually, some dude ain't going to see you and he's going to run you over. And I, that's like being in a maximum security prison. You might be the greatest guy in the world, no problem, no trouble. Everybody loves you. But there's a lot of psychopaths in prison and a lot of lunatics and a lot of evil guards and a lot of people who don't like you for a number of reasons. They don't like your girlfriend because she's pretty. They don't like you because you get too much mail. They don't like you because the guard talked to you nice one day. Never mind, the guard's known you for 20 damn years, okay? All right? There's a lot of ways to get killed or hurt in prison. Never mind, if you're sick, you're screwed because medical treatment in prisons let's, is generally non-existent. Mm-hmm. Any serious illness, it's going to kill you. You're going to die. So it's risky, risky being in jail locked up in the state of Illinois. State of Arizona is much worse. The state of Texas is worse. Florida is worse. West Virginia is worse. So it's it can always be worse, right? But it's just, it's hard. And not to mention the stress level of being locked up for a crime you didn't commit is just mm-hmm. off the charts. It's off the charts. Uh Guys like Jamie Snow, and I, and I don't ja, Jamie I think has learned how to manage this and he's okay. Um, but I have seen guys who have slowly gone insane, j- just the cumulative damage that is done to them over 15, 20, 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. If if you don't have coping skills, if you don't have an outside love interest, a a, a love for reading, for knowledge. If you don't have a way to self-entertain, you don't know. In other words, if you don't know how to do time, it'll it'll get you. Mm-hmm. It, it usually will kill you. You won't outlive it. Right. That, that's what will happen. The most inmates who are not, uh, most of them aren't. It, listen, if they're middle class, college educated, and very bright, uh, the worst thing you could do to somebody like that is throw them in prison because that, that's so out of the realm of their experience street smart guys who have done some time before who are familiar with the criminal justice system who learn how to do time who learn how to entertain themselves who learn how to self-educate get better work on their case find a a mission a reason to live they do much better but it's still a dangerous dangerous place you know these are the problems and these these that's the stuff that bothers me i know jamie's innocent i know he's coming out of there but god forbid what happens something happens to him before that right right and right. and that's a possibility. I mean that that's like that, that's something you'd want to put money on. That something will happen. Something bad will happen, right? Because generally, he's in Stateville, which is top two or three toughest prisons in the state. Now he's a smart, cagey guy who who manages situation very very well. But that doesn't make it any less dangerous. Yeah, every day is a risk. Yes. 
Now, on that positive note. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the reality, and that's what people listen See, they don't understand it. That nobody getting rehabilitated in jail. Jail's not fun. You're not having sex. You're not watching HBO. You're not lifting weights. All that shit's gone, man. It, trust me, you are being punished day in, day out, 24-7. And you're being punished in cruel and unusual ways. You're not getting medical treatment. If you've got a cavity, tough shit. If you got impact wisdom teeth, tough shit. Get in line. We'll get to you in about two years. Live with the pain. You got cancer. Here's some tying off for your problem, pal. Exactly. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. They, 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 medical treatment is almost non-existent. They don't care. They don't care if you're sick. They don't care if you're dying. So being wrongfully convicted is one thing. Now you put up with all of this mm-hmm. on top of it. I live in the area. The local hospitals are loaded with inmates who got the virus. Now, the good news is most of the inmates are younger and they'll survive it. Right. The older guys, they're not going to survive it. They're going to get sick and die. I think we've lost two older inmates so far. Right. Um, both of them are pretty bad guys. No loss to the world, I'm guessing. But but they're getting sick. Here's the problem. Here's the bad news. The more guards get sick, the more oppressive it's going to become for the inmates. And uh, administration isn't taking care of the guards. Um uh, uh-huh. And here's the problem. What happens when you got not only have enough guards? Well, administrative people start acting like guards, like they know what they're doing. And then they just start locking you down 24 hours a day, really making your life miserable because you don't have enough uh, guard personnel that uh, manage the inmates. So uh, they better get their shit together because the, the prisons are like nursing homes. It, let's face it. Not, these guys are on top of each other. I'm all about being fair. And, and that's what my criminal defendant clients want. They want a fair trial. I don't want a third prosecutor sitting in the bench in a row. I want an even break. I want to start on a level playing field, and I want to stay there when we're trying these cases. And if we have that, 90% of these wrongful convictions would not occur, would not happen. So what can you do? Vote these bums out of office. These judges in Illinois are all elected, okay? Every six years, they come up for retention, which is, uh, but if they're bad, get rid of them. Get your friends, get your family, get some, get some lawyer to run against them, make them spend a couple hundred thousand dollars to beat you, okay? That's how you punish these people. And if a prosecutor's bad, fire his boss, all right? That, that's, these people are politicians. This is what they understand. Uh, Brent Turby and I are writing a book right now, Reformation of the Criminal Justice System. We've got two chapters on pro- bad prosecutors and bad judges and what to do about them, Okay. This is a problem that's nationwide. It's not getting any better because people don't get active until they got a dog in the fight. All right. Especially white people. White people don't give a shit because they're making money and they got their 401k and their kids are all going to college and junior college and are working for the family business. It's not until someone in the family got jammed up on a criminal case that everyone is all of a sudden concerned about how the criminal justice system works. We should all be care because this is how this country functions. And the criminal justice system is the biggest business in this country. And you have to treat it like that. It's a business. It employs more people. It spends more money than anything, more than pharmaceutical companies, insurance companies, more than anything. Think about it. The, the jobs that would go away if there was no criminal justice system tomorrow. 
Just think about it for a second. So it is huge. And so you have to treat it like a financial entity. And if the boss isn't performing, you got to fire them. And the board of directors would be the people who elect them. So make their lives uncomfortable. Make them do their jobs. Be an activist. Be tough. Do not play games. Make everyone get treated the right the same way. Not because you're rich or you're white or you got a big fancy lawyer that you could pay 50 grand a month to, okay? That, that's not a guarantee, by the way, for justice, but it helps. So you, you have to make these people play by the rules, and the only way you do that, you get them unelected, you fire them. That's the only thing they understand, because you sure enough ain't going to get them prosecuted for misconduct. Not going to happen. Accountability is what they determine as accountability, okay? You and I have accountability as a defense advocate or a person working for the defense. We're held accountable. We're held to a set of standards and laws regulations and rules they they do they they hold themselves to whatever they feel like holding themselves to that's the problem the question is though how do you get the public interested if they're not if they're not dragged into into a nightmare how do you get them interested we're not the well, norm here apparently you get some chick with a nice ass named kim kardashian who's got access to the president is able to get people sprung from the penitentiary on a pretty regular basis so if you're hot and you're famous Maybe you get somebody like that to, to become a public figure spokesman for you, okay? Because that's what they understand. And really, I'm not negative on Kim Kardashian. She has done magnificent work. She's gotten a whole bunch of people out of jail who shouldn't be there, and she's done it on her fame. That is what I think a Hollywood person using their fame for a very good thing, right? So it's been a great thing to watch from afar. And I'm like everybody else, Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian is, you know, about, you would think initially, not a very smart person, not very bright. Let's face it, she made a porno to get famous, okay, with an old boyfriend. Well, now she's a billionaires, but she's taken her fame and her wealth, and she has sprung a whole bunch of dudes in jail, including Rob Blagojevich she went to bat for with Trump, okay? So... That's nice access if you can get it, or if you could get a famous person interested or involved or a wealthy person. But li listen, our president, he likes famous people. And if a, f a famous dude could get him on the phone or a golfer. So if you know a professional <laughs> golfer, you know, and if your, your boyfriend or husband or friends locked up on a federal crime, you got a shot. All right. It's pretty sad that that has to be one of the options. So the bottom line is there's no immediate hope for reform. Nah, no, not going to happen. So with Jamie, he always says he's the luckiest man in Stateville because he's got the three of us. He's got people like you. He's got his exoneration project. He had Bob Ruff at the whole Truth and Justice Army. And that there are so many guys who wish that they had what he had. And you're telling us that, you know, that's such a, a small thing to have. What can the rest of the guys in there do who maybe they only have a mom or a girlfriend? Where can they start? Well, let me tell you my experience. One dedicated, hard-charging person is often all it takes to get it done. All right? Jamie's very correct in saying what he says. He is very fortunate. He is very lucky that he's got Tam and, and the rest of you pushing and shoving and fighting and carrying on. That's sometimes all it takes. And I, I, I want to close with this as an example because this guy's coming out of prison in 
1989 or so, I was putting on a death penalty investigation seminar at Northwestern University in Chicago. And a woman by the name of Nan Webb jumped in her car and drove up from Mims, Florida, where right outside Orlando, about 40 miles outside Orlando. And she was a religious person, Catholic church, who was corresponding with an inmate on death row by the name of Crosley Alexander Green, who was charged with a murder down there. And she got to know Crosley and believed him to be innocent. She was writing me letters and I was ignoring her and she was calling me and I wasn't talking to her. So she got in the car and drove us up to Chicago and grabbed me at Northwestern and then let me go until she, I made her promise I'd read transcripts, right? Now, Nan Webb was a voice in the dark in, in the woods. And I read the transcripts and guess what? I'm like, son of a bitch, this dude did not do it. I think he's innocent probably based on the trial transcript. So I got CBS News in 48 hours and an investigator from Boston and one from Denver and one from San Diego. And we went down there and we tore this shit up. And to make a long story short, we got him off death row. He's still alive. And he should be coming out of that prison in Florida within the next three or four months. The state has to try him or kick him loose. They're not going to try this case, folks. But that case was really not as we started working on that in 1999. Okay. If not for Nan Webb, Crosley Green be dead today. Okay. That's yeah. the point. Crosley does know how to do time. He's an African American, had been to prison before. Many of his family members have been there. Uh, not a strange place to him. All right. He's a survivor. He's, I believe he's about my age. He's 63 or 64, within a year of my age. Crosley's coming out of there. He's going to have a life again. But it was because of Nan Webb and her passion and her drive to, to try and get something done. Now, she had no idea how to do it. She had no tools. To, she taught typing at a junior college, okay, and went to church every Sunday and Friday night. That was Nan did. Nan's still alive. Most of her family's dead. I just, I'm hopeful Nan is alive to see Crosley come out of that penitentiary, okay? Uh, because really, uh, we did all the work, and we got all the publicity, and we, we, we brought, we, we were in a war with the Broward County prosecutors and Broward County Sheriff's Department over this thing. Uh, I mean, I was threatened at gunpoint at 2 o'clock in the morning on back streets, all right? So we fought a war down there for Crosley Green. A Washington, D.C. law firm got involved, a big one, a bunch of African-American lawyers who made it a pet project. And 21 years later, he might be coming out of there finally. He's been in for about 31. So what I'm telling you is you never know where that person's going to come from that, that turns the corner on that case. Yeah. But none of it's never going to happen quick. The lost time is incredible. You'll get a, some trials take two days and it takes 30 years to fix it. That's right, Bruce. It's it's, And I always say this to the defendants, man, call me before your ass goes to trial, because once you're in that penitentiary, brother, it's going to be years or decades. OK, we got Anthony Porter out of jail about six months after we got involved. But I mean, the stars lined up. It was lightning in a bottle kind of shit. And uh, we had CBS Network News and Dan Rather behind us on it. And I got a confession from the guy who actually did the crime. It, it was kind of a miracle type case, but he had been in prison for 18 years at that point. 
but we only worked on that case for about six months. All right. That's crazy. Yeah. That yeah. Amazing. But that, that was the lightning in the bottle type case. So I would tell you, I'll keep doing what you're doing because you're doing great. You're doing God's work, man. I mean, you've got a dude in jail who did not do this. All right. And he's very capable kind of guy, but they got to have people on the outside doing this. All right. And and don't discount podcasts and articles and anytime you could talk about this case in any forum, you do it. Right. Because, you you know, listen, you, you just got to be persistent. Sign of a great investigator is he or she is persistent yeah. and they keep at it. They keep at it. They keep hammering. They keep going. It's easy to get discouraged because all you hear is no in this business. Fuck you and no. That's what you hear all the time. You, you say that to me, I just, you know, it, it just goes right through me. I don't even think about it. I don't care. We're going to keep talking to you. You're used to it after all these years. I'm going to tell you, man, I'm used to hearing it, right? And I just keep going and I just keep calling you and keep bugging you. And yeah. sometimes it works. More often than not, it does not. But you never know when it's going to work. You're never going to know the magic door you open. So you all keep doing what you're doing, man, for Jamie Snow. Jamie Snow's coming out of it, I'm telling you. Jamie Snow is coming out of that jail because he's innocent, period. And he's got a bunch of activists working on his behalf. Now, he gets out. I'll take all the credit. Don't worry about it. I'll push you all aside. Oh, yeah. If he gets out, we'll let you have it. Go ahead, Which What you said was, and and I've always said this, too, in reading the, the wrongful convictions, the exonerations, I've always, it was persistence. That that was it. Yeah. I mean, every case, there was years and years and years of persistence, no giving up. And that's always kept me going as far as, you know, I know if you just if you just keep at it. Because Man, it's depressing. I'm, it's depressing and it's hard. It's backbreaking. It's stressful. It, it, listen, and it just never ends. It's setback after setback after setback. But there's always someone like one of you all involved in the successful cases. Mm-hmm. I know it doesn't work. Nobody doing anything. That, Nothing's going to happen if nobody if, tries. If you, if you wait for some appellate <laughs> court to rule in your favor, you're going to die waiting, okay? you you got to push and shove and manipulate and do whatever you got to do to get this to the attention of people who, who can affect a positive decision. So often activists like yourselves, who are the only ones that are – being the truth tellers. I'm all, I'm big about being a truth teller. Right. And, and listen, I, I've talked this stuff for 35 years or more. And I always, this is my advice to guilty clients. Shut the fuck up. Don't talk to newspaper reporters because it's not going to help you. They're not going to lie for you. Okay. If you're innocent, you want to be talking to everybody. All right. I, I would never tell Jamie, for instance, he couldn't talk to somebody. Fuck that. I'm talking to everybody. I want his voice heard. Because you want to humanize these people. And let's face it, a lot of your clients are idiots. You don't want them talking to anybody because they're morons and or they're mental defectives or they're crazy. Right? So I get a client like Jamie Snow up front and center. He he could string two sentences together and he knows his case. One of the Fort Hyde Ford defendants, Dennis Williams, Dennis knew his case inside out and told the truth. We we put Dennis out front all the time. You got a guy like Jamie, man, run him out there. Because he's smart, yeah. knows the facts of the case, and he's innocent. And he comes off as being innocent. You listen to that Chicago Popo report, okay? On WLSAM 890, it also podcasted on all those platforms. 
love where, it. Where we take nothing seriously. We but, love it. But I mention that because uh, we're going to do a feature when we get back. Uh, Jamie's going to be a contributing guest every week. I'm putting them on there. Live from Stateville, Jamie Snow, every, every on the Popo Should Report. Work out great. Oh, my gosh. Paul, thank you so much. We always uh, appreciate you, everything you've done. Listen, it was fun. Happy Easter to everyone. My pal, Jamie Snow, who's coming out of there. Not as soon, but when. He's coming. And I'm sure of it. I like the optimism. And I'm, 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 I'm not generally an optimistic person, but I believe Jamie Snow will come out of prison. I agree. In this episode, we talked with homicide investigation expert Paul Cialino to break down the absolute power snitches hold over a defendant. In Jamie's case, numerous people took the stand and just simply said, he told me so, all with different stories of his alleged confession. But they share more in common. The majority received time shaved off their own sentences in return for their testimony, and many have since recanted and admitted they did it in return for a sweet deal. But Jamie still waits for others who wish to come forward today. If you have any information that may help Jamie, please call the tip line at 888-710-SNOW. There is a $10,000 reward for any information leading to a new trial or the exoneration of Jamie Snow. You heard what Paul thinks about the snitches who lied to put Jamie away and how it was incredibly reprehensible. And now we have new evidence that suggests equally reprehensible behavior from local authorities who threatened these people with prison time and consequences for their women and children. How did they get away with it? That's next time on Snow Files.